Our God is an awesome God who reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God who reigns from heaven and above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God who reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. All my computer people are gone today. <laughs> yes, they are. Get it. Get it. <laughs> well, that's the aggravation is it can be annoying, as you've seen on a Sunday morning. So let's see what happens, because now we're going to do it from distance. All right. Hey, look at that. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Let's pray. Lord, you are the ruler of this world. You are the ultimate authority, and we know that. Lord, strengthen us that we would walk in praise and worship of you. Strengthen our nation, that she would be a shining light to you. That what we would do as a people is to honor what is good, to tear down what is evil, and to worship and serve rightly. And Lord, if that is not to be our nation, then give us the strength that we would do the work that is good, standing firm in your word alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Jesus, my Redeemer, Name 
above all name, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, oh, for sinners slain. Thank you, oh, my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving us your Spirit till the work on earth is done. When I stand in glory, I will see his face. There I'll serve my King forever in that holy place. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving us your Spirit till the work on earth is done. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving us your Spirit till the work on earth is done and leaving us your Spirit till your work on earth is done. Okay, let's see. Got everything in the same. We have a list today. So, handful of things. Um, doing better, but Lou and family are still sick. They whole house has coronavirus, so. <sighs> so, and there's just enough health problems and things going on that they're having some effects. I mean, Lou was having probably the, the, the worst flu symptoms as he described it, so. <sighs> just that works through the uh, brain cells. Speak English, so that's working its way through that house, and so far so good. They're just kind of in the same boat, so. Uh, Elizabeth is doing better. I didn't find out if she went home today or not. She was supposed to go home yesterday, but then they wanted to keep her for extra observation. They ended up putting four stints in to open up everything. They wanted to put six, but the problem, she was all upset because they originally, turns out she was having several small heart attacks. And so when they, she finally had one that was large enough to really make her ill, so they, they, they called and brought her in. Uh, Carol was trying to explain it to me that they were saying that her heart was at 45% function. So they wanted to hurry up and do something because she was one major heart attack away from that was the end of it. So 
First doctor came in and looked at her when she got there and said, open heart surgery, we need to do bypass. Second doctor that came in and looked said, you're not a candidate for bypass surgery. So the third doctor came in and said, let's all sit down and talk about it and figure out what we want to do. <laughs> so they finally settled in on doing the stents. They wanted to do six. They did four because two of the passageways weren't large enough to actually get the, the spring in to open them up. So, But they think that's going to do a good job. They wanted to send her home, but then a couple of other things they just wanted to keep a check on. So she's either going home today or tomorrow, or she already got home and just didn't let me know. So that's distinctly possible. She was sending me text messages and calling me while I was driving. So <laughs> so that's the update on that. But other than that, she's feeling okay. So just keep Elizabeth in your prayers. Uh, Ginger is sick this morning. Daryl sent me a message they weren't going to make it. So just who knows if she picked up something on the bus or what. So just keep Ginger in your prayers. Um, some of you will know the name. Um, uh, oh my goodness. If I would know a name, we'd be doing all set. Um, Denny's daughter, Denny family sitting right here. Yes, I, I have that name written down. Um, Denny and family, their daughter Serenity was sent home from school. Um, Monday, he said, one of the students in their class tested positive for COVID. So they sent the whole classroom home. And so she said, no, they said, no symptoms, um, no fever or anything, just safe and sorry. They stayed home just to be on the safe side to give it another couple of days. So that's where they are this morning. Wanted to give you a heads up. Uh, Jay and Renee um, did test positive. They both have COVID. <laughs> and they're both sick, which doesn't surprise me. Jay delivers for the post office, so he's in and out of the distribution center all the time. And so spoke to him a couple weeks ago, and he said, I'm just kind of ready if I'm going to get it to get it and get it over with and just kind of deal with it. So, so he got his wish. <laughs> exactly. Which, funny story on Be Careful What You Wish For. We were, um, Cameron, Cameron and I driving to her parents on, it was Monday morning at this point. We were in Southern Virginia, so we were probably not even 45 minutes from arriving. And this person kept passing me and then getting in front of me and slowing down. <laughs> don't, you, don't you love that person on the interstate? So you get out of their way, they go by you, and then they get in front of you and slow down. It's like, did this three times. And so Cameron's exact words, I don't care if you get a speeding ticket, just go by this person. I can't take this anymore. So I pulled in the left lane, turned the cruise control off, stepped on the gas pedal, speedometer shot up to about 85, and as soon as I did that, I drove by a Virginia State policeman. <laughs> in my exact words, you got your wish, and I came off the gas pedal and looked in my rearview mirror and went. Camera goes, did he not pull out? No, no, he didn't. I don't know why, but I'm not going to ask questions. I'm just going to get over. Luckily, the person that kept doing that, when they saw him, they dropped down to who knows what speed and the only thing I could figure is maybe I was just close enough to him that when the speedometer spiked, it actually didn't register because I was just right on him. So who knows? But after after 15 plus hours in the car, I was ready to be there too. So mm -hmm. it took me till about Tuesday afternoon. I finally, my mother-in-law goes, are you okay? I said, no, I think part of me is still in Ohio driving. You know, like, have you ever <laughs> been in a boat and then you get on ground and you feel like you're still doing this? I was on solid ground in the house and I felt like part of me was still, you know, doing this. So anyway. Um, Church council today after service, if we actually have enough to meet. <laughs> I knew a couple were going to be here. I don't know what happened to Jeff and Elaine. I didn't get a chance to send them a message this morning. So have you heard from them at all, Clark? Nah. I knew last week they were out of town, so maybe they just didn't come back. I'm not sure I can blame them. Oh, all right. So, th so they're just being brats about it. Okay. <laughs> all right. Is there anything else I'm forgetting that, yes, sir?
I know a bunch went out this week. Go, Bob. <laughs> so keep it. So if, if go back. If you did not get a bunch of updates this week on the prayer app, go back and look and see if they're there. And if you are not getting them, let Clark know. Because I know I put out a couple with Elizabeth stuff going on. And I know Matt put out one and Ginger and Daryl put out. Oh, that was the other one. Um, Daryl and Ginger put out another one. Keep Kathy Shaw in your prayers also if you didn't receive that update. Um, her son was going to work on his motorcycle when he hit a deer. That was bad enough. Daryl explained it to me yesterday exactly what happened. He hit the deer. It threw him over the deer, and he actually hit a car coming the other way. So he was driving on, um, on River Road. So when he hit the deer, he went airborne, which is bad enough, but what stopped him was actually a car traveling the opposite direction. Ooh. So when I asked how he was doing, Daryl's exact phrase was, considering what happened to him, he's doing pretty well. <laughs> so it's a little up and down. He's still in critical condition, but at the same time, Yes, and that, that was the other day, and that was, uh, Daryl told me yesterday, as, as with everything that's going on, he's doing about as well as can be expected. So, still not in good shape, but it's like, yeah, you, you don't want to stop that way. So, so yeah, remember, remember Kathy and family in your prayers. Um, so, if you're not getting the prayer, prayer requests, check the app, see if you missed a bunch, and if you did, let Clark know, because we have been having some intermittent problems with that, and we may just have to go back to text messaging as much as nobody wants to do that. Yes, sir. That's right, 80 came in and then said he wasn't feeling well, so he went home. So, and then I hear the door open and shut, and I don't know if that's just the wind today or not. Is there actually anybody there? <laughs> yeah, I figure, I figure Marilyn and Dan always like to come in late, so um, I may have to go lock that door to keep a check, because that's, I, I don't know if anybody else hears that, but if that door actually opens and closes, I hear it, and it's kind of like, <laughs> with everything that's gone on the last couple of years in this world, I kind of keep a check on that, so. May just have to go lock that door if the wind, because if the wind comes around the building, it will actually catch that door just right and open it and then close it. It's like, so we'll leave the one open because the second door, it doesn't hit, but it hits the one closest to the wall. So I wrap your brain around that. Um, all right, if there is nothing else, reminder, if we may just have to put counsel off and go with that, go figure something else out. So trivia time, all of last week's stuff is in there. I don't know why I put my phone away. I need the answers that are written down on it. It's like I have all those percentages memorized, right? I should. All right. I told you, I warned you last week, it was going to start getting interesting because the back half of this survey starts getting into what we would call the cultural application issues. So, true or false, abortion is sin. <laughs> of those who attend evangelical churches once a week, 78% said that question, which, or that statement was true. I agree. 13% said it was false. That's just too high. Now keep in mind, that is people who attend evangelical churches once a week. Not people who just attend evangelical churches on Christmas and Easter, but people who are going to church regularly in churches that we would read their doctrinal statement and go, yes, I agree with that. If you remove denominational consideration and church attendance consideration, 51% said the statement was true. 39% said the statement was false. So you meet random person on the street, and they go, I go to the Methodist church. 39% of them said abortion's not sin. 
That's just that's frightening. Unfortunately, if, if you trace through the survey, the, the numbers, they have been changing. Amazingly, what happens, let's probably shouldn't say amazingly, this is why, again, I, I'm always cautious about making sure you're on a firm foundation because we have to interact with our culture. We have to. We live in this world. You, you have to do business. People. That's why I've never been a boycott person of businesses because if I had to boycott every business that sins, you know how many businesses I'd have left to shop at? <laughs> None. None. I, I, you're you're kind of stuck doing business in this world. So, But with that, the worst thing that happens to us is we do a terrible job of affecting the culture, and we let the culture affect us. And this, An answer like this is kind of proof of that. We have to make sure that we're grounding everything on a regular basis so that when we are interacting with the culture, we are changing it and not the other way around. So, ah, gender identity is a matter of choice. <laughs> yes, but you're joking when you say it. Of those who attend evangelical churches once a week, 26% said that statement was true. 67% said that statement was false. If you remove uh, a denominational affili affiliation and church attendance, 38% said the statement was true, and 52% said it was false. There's an issue we lost quickly a lot of ground on. I mean... We've, we've kind of lost the idea that God created them male and female. In the image of God, he created them. I don't care what the world says. No, you can't. You can say you want to be a toaster, but just because I say it does not make it true. There's, I mean, we live in a world that, if you want, I mean, this is a perfect example. When, Pilate, when, when Jesus stands before Pilate and Pilate asks him, what is truth? Welcome to our world. Our world is Pilate going. And the, the answer is, I have no idea. I, I've, I've made mention of this before. I'll mention it again. There's an apologist who does work out of um, Atlanta. And once a week, he goes to either, for a long time, he went to the University of Georgia or Georgia Tech. I don't know what he's doing now. But once a week, he goes to one of those college campuses and just, you know, will stop people on the campus and, you know, do, just do evangelism and try to, try to talk to them. For the longest time, he would set up a whole sound system. And I sent him an email. I said, how do you get the kids to ask you questions? He goes, believe it or not, we just put up a microphone and they form a line. <laughs> we give them a microphone and they will get in line to ask me questions and talk to me. Like, I never even dawned on me that that's how that would work. But one of the, uh, one of the kids on the campus argued, started arguing with him. And um, the guy, the evangelist is tall and skinny. I mean, like, basically the same dimensions as Matt running around. So, I mean, you, you can't miss him in a crowd, you know, about this big around and about, you know, yay high. And so the, the kid was trying to explain to him how, you know, truth can be malleable. It can move and change. And he finally looked at him and he goes, all right, fine. I'm a 5'2 Asian woman. Am I wrong? Well, no, he's a 6'4", 6'5", skinny white guy. And the kid looked at him with a straight face and said, if that's what you think, then that's what you think. <laughs> it's a crazy world. It's a crazy world. All right. The Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior does not apply today. Of those who attend evangelical churches once a week, 17% said that statement was true. <laughs> I didn't do it. I didn't do it. 83% um, said the statement was false. So the lovely, lovely part about that one is there's no real middle ground on that. There's just kind of a yes or a no. Now, if you remove denominational affiliation or church attendance requirement... 40% of the respondents said that that statement was true, and 43% said it was false, 
which means there's what, 17, 18% of the people who went, hmm. Why do you think that one is what it is? Because again, we've been affected more by our culture than we have affected our culture. So pick your battles very, very carefully. Um, make sure when you enter into the idea of public debate and public ideas that you are actually entering in with a firm foundation because one of the worst things that we do is we have a, we have a decision made on an idea and we don't know why we've made that decision. Because you know what happens when we start arguing for that decision? We sound ridiculous because we don't have any reason why we believe what we believe. It's not enough to know what we believe. We have to know why we believe it. And I'll be honest with you, I have actually sat in a Bible study led by a retired Baptist pastor, and that, that was the argument he was trying to make. He tried to make this argument with me in the room. The Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior does not apply today. They only met for about three weeks. So they got tired of yelling at me. <laughs> they got tired of arguing with me, mainly because they got tired of losing the argument with me because there were a handful of people in that room that were deacons in churches, and one was a, uh, a church planter, and he even said, I know what the answer is, but I can't argue it. I'm like, that's the problem, dude. You have to be able to argue it. Because he actually stopped me in the way, and he said he actually, he, he actually thanked me. He goes, I couldn't actually answer that, and I'm glad you did because I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't argue it. Don't let them know our history and our doctrine better than we do. We, we have to know who we are, what we believe, and then most importantly, why we believe it. This is what Peter and Paul are talking about when they talk about taking thoughts captive, being ready to make a defense, is that we don't just sit and go, that's evil. We go, no, 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 that's sinful because, and this is what is good because we can actually explain it. All right, told you it was going to get fun. Only a couple more weeks of these, and then we'll actually get back to, to something that's probably a little less soul-crushing. <laughs> All right, last chance. Anything I am forgetting? Going once, going twice, then let's stand and sing. <clears throat> I've wandered so aimless. I filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior my dear in. Savior in. Then Jesus just came like the stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more light. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Just like a blind man, I wandered along. Worries and fears I claimed for my own. Then like the blind man, did God give back his sight? Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. 
I was a fool to wander astray, straight the gate and never roll away. Now I have traded the wrong for the right. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more light. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Jesse's son stood before the prophet. Father knew a king would soon be found. Each one passed except the last. No one thought to call him. Surely he would not. When others
All right, so far so good, it wants to behave itself. It wouldn't work to start the song on time because a pop-up ad had come up on there. The thing never puts up a pop-up ad. The one time I have this up front, it decides it wants to do that. <sighs> you know, it's not paranoia when they really are out to get you. And I'm convinced that the computer is actually out to get me. I've tried Vern's tact. Vern keeps telling me I should be nicer to it. I've been really nice to it. I haven't insulted it. I haven't yelled at it. I haven't done anything. And it still fights with me. <laughs> so I didn't do it. I didn't start it. <laughs> All right. Exodus chapter 10. We are almost through the plagues, which is perfect timing because this will be our last look at the plagues for several weeks. Warned you last Sunday. I'll warn you again this week. Tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. That's where my brain is. Next Sunday, we will work on Thanksgiving. And then we dive into Advent. It is Christmas time. Almost. If you're one of those people that have your lights up already, don't don't tell me. Just just don't tell me. I'm I'm just. <sighs> I know one of the stations that I listen to every year is already converted to Christmas music, and once once December hits, I will just put the radio in the car on that channel and leave it there. But that's when December hits, not now. It, I I just can't do it. I enjoy fall. I enjoy Thanksgiving too much. I just can't start Christmas. If you can, I'm not mad at you. I just think you're a little bit lesser of a person, but that's okay. I still love you. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is this is one of the reasons why I cling to a real tree, because you can't put it up it's so early. Because you can't, yet it's just wrong to go cut the tree down in November, and that's what I've actually got the, the family doing the last few years, is we grab the saw and we go out to the tree farm, and we actually cut down the tree and the whole bit, and it's fun. I did it as a kid 
Although I have so far, two years in a row, done it better than my family did. My parents actually had one of those two-person saws like you see in the old documentaries. Where you, and, and my parents growing up couldn't do anything cooperative without the screaming and cursing at each other. So all of my holiday memories are, as of, are of us doing things together, devolving into a fight, and then acting like nothing bad happened on the way home. <laughs> so I just bought a small one-person saw that I cut the tree down, and there's nothing to worry about, and I don't yell at anybody. And it's a great time as had by all. <laughs> so if you are one of those, you've got the Christmas lights up. It's okay, but we're not there yet. We're going to do Thanksgiving next week, then Advent, and then we will finish the plagues as we get into next year. So with all of that said, today... We finish our assault by God on the heavenly powers of Egypt. And I'm saying that precisely in that way, intentionally. Remember, the plagues have been multifaceted in their purpose. We are demonstrating the power and redemption of God for Israel and his people. We are demonstrating the power of God in judgment over Egypt as he has condemned them. But we have also been demonstrating the power of Yahweh over and above the quote-unquote gods of Egypt. And every single one of the plagues has not just been an attack in the temporal realm, the physical world, but it has been an attack in the spiritual world, the way that Egypt would see it. Today's attack becomes the final one directed against the heavenly powers of Egypt, and we'll make more sense of that as we go through. With that said, what is the most visibly consistent thing in all creation? Give you a chance to think on this one. What is the most visibly consistent thing in all creation? We wrote songs about it. The sun will come out tomorrow. And I will stop right there before your ears bleed. Yeah. Every day you know what's going to happen. The sun is going to rise. The sun is going to set. <laughs> not today it's not. Not today. And with that said, let's just dive right into Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 29. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. Therefore our livestock too shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know with what we shall serve the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, beware, do not see my face again, for in the day you shall see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, You are right, I shall never see your face again. Ooh, let's see, i got to go rewind this way because I can't go click, so there we go. Back to the beginning, let's make sense of this as we go through it. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky. Notice we have no warning. We have not gone to Pharaoh. We have not planned this out. We are just doing what? Time to go get something done. Stretch out your hand to the sky. Why the sky? Why do we need to go in this direction? Ra, 
if you knew an Egyptian deity, if you like, you stopped random people on the street, like you know, like those family feud questions. We asked 100 random people, name an Egyptian deity. Number one answer would be Ra. It's the one anybody remembers from high school history. Ra was believed to rule in all parts of the created world, the sky, the earth, and the underworld. He was the god of the sun, order, kings, and the sky. All forms of life were believed to have been created by Ra. Oops. <sighs> Just a simple little question to ask now to put into your brain for later. If Ra is the top of the food chain in Egyptian deities, when he is struck down, what deity in Egypt is left? I'll help you out. There isn't. There's an answer that's not zero. It's one. Remember that as we get through this later. Just kind of take that one, file it back here. We'll drag it forward, kicking and screaming in a few minutes. So stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. Now, we know we're attacking Ra here because the sun is his symbol, but that is not all we are doing. We are hearkening back and we are teaching. So what are we hearkening back to? Well, if you're Moses, if you're Israel, I wonder if you might remember something like Genesis chapter 15. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a flaming oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. When God showed up, to cut a covenant with Abram. Remember, remember covenants. All right, we've done this before. We'll do it again. It's a good reminder time. Covenant, you're making a deal. You don't sign it, get 17 lawyers, and sign a stack of papers this high for your mortgage. You go, you make some animals, you cut them in half, and you place them on opposite sides, and you and the person you're making the deal with will pass between them. Afterwards, you will have a meal together, and you'll be celebrated that you have, the two have become one, basically. The reason why you're passing between the critters is because what you are saying is, if I renege on my end of the deal, you see these animals? That's what you do to me. Aren't you so glad we just signed papers now? <laughs> you're like, I don't want to get cut in half like a chicken. How does that even work? You know what? I'm not asking anymore. Someone might have an answer. Notice with Abram, later on Abraham, the covenant is made between Abraham and his descendants and God. What's Abraham's part in it? Where's Abraham while God is passing through the pieces of the animals? Anybody remember? He's sleeping. Abraham has no part in this covenant. He is a passive participant. God has placed him in it, but the penalty of the covenant is placed upon who and whom alone? God, the one who passes through. Now, think through for your, uh, your pictures of God, your typology. If it's dark, you can see the flaming torch, right? Flaming oven? Like, this isn't like a wood-burning fireplace with a pretty picture window. What would you know about a flaming oven? How would you be aware that there's a flaming oven in the dark? Tough question. There would be some heat, but how would you know where it was? 
Well, there won't be light. It's the oven. It's an enclosed piece. Think potbelly stove type thing. What would be coming out the top of it? When God leads the Israelites out of Egypt, what are the two things that lead them? Pillar by fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. Flaming, smoking oven, flaming torch. When the Israelites are led out of Egypt in fulfillment of the promise, God reminds them that he has promised them this by hearkening back to the way that he cut the covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. This is not just a sign for Egypt. This is a sign for who? The people. The people that God will lead out. I hit a button. I hope I just didn't break something. Okay, I didn't. Put my hand right on it. Computer's going, what did you do to me? (laughs) Now, not only are we hearkening back, but we are teaching about God and his location. When are you most afraid? Noon? Nobody's afraid at 12 o'clock in the middle of the afternoon standing outside, because what can you do? I can see everything. When are you afraid? When I can't see anything. I'm required to do that every time that happens. <laughs> um, I mean, think about this. You're in your house. If the lights are out at night, you know what's there. You know where the furniture is. How do you walk through the house? Oh, we're still going. <laughs> yeah. Are you confident? Like, I, I mean, I've done this. I, count the, I have counted the stairs to my downstairs because if I have to walk down them in the middle of the night, you know what the most terrifying thing is? When you're getting to the bottom of the steps and you're going, okay, I think I'm at the bottom. No, I'm not. Because let's just be honest, that drop from step two to step one to the floor, if you miss that bottom step, that's like 40 feet, isn't it, when you actually do it? It feels like it. It's terrifying. I know there's nothing there, but it's still, walk through the house in the dark. I know there's a coffee table. I know there's a, there's a buffet with the TV on it, yet I'm still doing what? Even though I knew where it was. It's terrifying. What's going on in Egypt right now? Dark. Dark, 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 dark. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, behold, you are there. If I take to the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. That's Psalm 139. How does Israel know that? Because when Israel was in the darkness, who was there? When Israel was looking into the pitch black, who was there? They know this. They know this. Now, the reason why I point that out, this is not just an eclipse. How many of you have been in a a solar eclipse? Is it dark? No. It's not, it's not noonday bright, but is it dark? No. That there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. That's not just the sun went away. That's not someone pulled in a curtain. This is an absence of light, but this is also an absence of the presence of God. This is why John can talk about Jesus being the light of men. In him was the light of light, the light of life and it shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. A darkness which can be felt. God has removed his blessing. He has removed his presence to bless from the people of of Egypt. Now, 
Notice how I said that. He has removed his presence to bless from the people of Egypt. Do you ever wonder how the fires of hell could be hot while they are also dark? <laughs> it's a dark pit that's full of flames. That doesn't add up, does it? No. Don't plan on it? We'll, we'll keep praying for you just in case. <laughs> Don't nod. <laughs> we give Jonathan a hard time. This is what we do on a Sunday morning. <laughs> the way those things go together is it's not Satan and the demons that are powering the fires of hell. It's God. His presence is there. Where can I go that I can escape your, from your presence? The answer is nowhere. The difference is God's presence to bless is not there. It is only his presence to judge and to curse. You're getting a picture of that in Egypt. That's why the darkness isn't just, this is a little bizarre, and I don't like that it's black. This is a, it's dark. It's heavy. It's foreboding. You can feel this darkness. Why? Because what you are feeling is the presence of God in judgment. Not in blessing, but in judgment. So, we continue. Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. That's just, I think, long enough where you start asking yourself questions, right? Like, is anybody going to turn the lights back on, please? Like, afternoon. That, and I always wonder, how do you keep time? No watch. <sighs> how many days is it? How long would three days in pitch black feel like? It's a picture here, isn't it? It's one of the reasons why we're doing this. It's a warning. Why the flood? To demonstrate what the total wrath of God would look like poured out on sin against humanity. Why Sodom and Gomorrah? To show what would happen to a city and a nation if God turned his hand against them, if he decided to call them to account right here and right now. This is why God, this is why God does the acts of judgment that he does as an explanation to the people that are lost, and as a warning to those that he has saved to continue to proclaim because the judgment is coming. Luke 13. Jesus was passing through one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. Someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And Jesus said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the, I'm sorry will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us, he will answer to you and say, I do not know where you are from. And you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. He will say, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. They will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table of the kingdom of God. Behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. It's a warning. That picture that Jesus gives, there are those coming into the kingdom and you will be sent out. Why does that warning have any punch behind it? Things like this. Things like the decimation of Sodom and Gomorrah. Things like the destruction of the Philistines by somebody like Samson. Things like the flood, the wrath of God poured out against sin. The warnings against judgment have teeth because God has demonstrated his judgment, the power that he possesses, and what that looks like when people are forsaken of God. It's also a demonstration of 
not just that judgment, but of a redemption. Joel chapter 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountain, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be after it. To the years of many generations, a fire consumes before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Do you ever wonder why the judgment on, on Lot's wife? What, what lesson are you getting from that? I mean, wouldn't you look back? Be honest for five seconds. I mean, you're going, and the, you can hear the flames, and you can hear the exploit. Come on. Why is it when you turn on the news? Why, 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 why do we rubberneck on the highway? Is it just so people can yell at us? Because I want, we all turn into that guy from Dirty Harry, right? The gun's pointed at your nose, and you say what? I got to know that's why everybody slows down doing 20 on the interstate, even though the, exit, the, the accident's on the other side, across the median, four lanes over. They're just like, ooh, what happened? What'd you do? How'd you pay? Ooh, ooh, that's a bad one. All right, let's keep going. It's like, mm, we just have to know. That's Lot's wife. What's the object? What's the lesson there? Maybe something like he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back isn't worth service, or isn't worthy of service. To take up your cross and to do what? Follow how many days? All of them. All of them. That's why the lesson, as we are going into glory, going into the kingdom, what is going on behind us? Judgment, destruction, cleansing fire, as Peter puts it. Romans 8 does the same thing. What are we focused on? God, his kingdom, his mercy. This is why I always tell people at funerals that why I've never been a proponent of your loved one is looking down upon you. They're in the presence of God. They don't care about you. Not, they don't, not that they don't love you anymore, but if I have to choose between you and God, <laughs> God's better. His love is pure. His goodness is right. His mercy is great. And when I am in his presence, I don't care about what's going on here anymore. I have the better thing. So as we go into the kingdom of God, do I care about the judgment of the world? No. You know why? I have the better thing. Part of the warning here, three days, three dark days. But if you are of God, there is hope, there is blessing, there is presence, there is joy, there is protection in the midst of all of that. It's the same lesson being taught throughout Scripture. It's the same lesson that Joel taught. It's the same warning that Jesus gave. It's the same demonstration that John provides in the book of Revelation. Read it at the end of the service last week, remember? Revelation chapter 6, the judgment is coming. The kings of the earth are calling out for the mountains to fall on them because they can't stand before the wrath of the Lamb. What's going on in heaven? The saints who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and have been made white. Are they going, ooh, look at that destruction? No, they're doing what? Worthy are you, Lamb. They're praising. They don't care. This is part of the expl explanation of what sanctification does for the believer. It strengthens you to walk in the midst of this world while not caring about the judgment upon this world. Because it is accomplished. 
in Christ, it is accomplished. Your salvation is accomplished. You are still walking the path. You are still heading in that direction. But when you get to the end, what will happen? You will be secure because it is finished. The judgment of this world has been promised. Sin will be dealt with. That is accomplished. At the end, it will occur. We proclaim the excellencies of Christ. We we proclaim the mercy of God in the meantime, but we know what? That is secure. And we do not fear, and we do not worry, and we do not wonder because we know. We proclaim, we warn, we walk rightly, secure in the knowledge of who God is, what he is doing, what he has done for for us, and what he will do in light of sin in this world. But we don't fear it. We don't worry. That's what separates the, the uh, Israelites at the mountain. We'll get to that. God comes down upon the mountain, thunder, lightning, quaking and shaking, and he says, no one come upon the mountain. And everybody says what? I did not need to be told that. <laughs> you go talk to him for us. Is Moses sitting there knee shaking, trembling? No, because Moses knows the God at the top of the mountain. So while the people tremble, Moses does what? He walks and he stands. That's the difference between us and the judgment. We know it's coming. They tremble. We stand. It's a security in God, a security because of the work of Christ. Now, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. I can get behind that idea. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. I have no idea how that works. None whatsoever. This is why I don't go with the uh, History Channel theology where, you know, they'll tell you it's an eclipse or something. No. One, an eclipse doesn't last for three days. Two, you don't get darkness from an eclipse in one spot while you have light from the other spot. Like, what do you cover the front side of the sun and the rest of Egypt's on the back side? It It just doesn't work that way. This is the presence of God in judgment, but also the presence of God in protection. Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's a demonstration of this in real time. While God is judging, his people are doing what? They're secure. Where are they? They're in Egypt still. Goshen is still in Egypt. There is darkness everywhere but where they are. And again, I have no idea how that would have worked. What that, like, I don't know if they're in Goshen. And it's like, you're in Goshen, there's brightness. And then you step out of Goshen, dark, bright, dark. I, I don't think that's how it went down. But if you told me that's how it went down, I'd go, okay. I don't know if the Egyptian candles don't work, but the Israelite candles do work. I have, like, can you have a, is it dark in Goshen, but you have torches, but then you walk out of Goshen and they go out? Step back in, it comes on, you know? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm willing to bet, though, that if you're an Israelite, you didn't want to leave Goshen. I don't know about you, but I, I have no desire to go take a visit to hell. I have no desire to be like, let me just, like, isn't there a tour we can go through and I can see what it's like? I don't want to see what it's like. I don't think the Israelites did either. We're safe. We're protected. We're staying right here. Yeah, exactly. We're good. We're good. It's a demonstration also again of presence. Job 34. God's eyes are upon the ways of man. He sees all of man's steps. There is no darkness nor deep shadow where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. See, that's one of the reasons why the darkness that may be felt is so important. Where are you most hidden? In the dark. We get a warning about this with sin. All the deeds that are done in the darkness will one day what? Be exposed to the light. You're hidden in the dark. But what happens when you can feel the darkness? You you ever had that moment when you're outside? I have have had the, I don't know if it's the 
the good pleasure and the mispleasure to be outside many times in, in woods at night and you hear things and you see and you, you think you see things and you're really not and it's you want to talk about unnerving I, I actually did this a few years ago I, I, I went hunting in the morning on a cloudy morning which is just you get about four or five o'clock in the morning on a cloudy night and you know you get a you get off the road a few miles where I was and you know what you can see nothing and I'm in this stand holding a rifle waiting for the sun to come up wishing it would come up sooner and I hear Rest assured, I held the rifle a little bit tighter. It didn't help that the whole day before, my kids had been watching a bunch of Bigfoot shows. And then I hear that same squeal, scream thing again, and I spent the next half an hour looking at my watch going, all right, sun is coming up with the rifle pointed down the ladder of the stand. Going, all right, how many bullets do I have? Okay, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Turns out the farm to uh, about a quarter mile over has a donkey, and that's the sound they make. But at 5 a.m., in the pitch black. Because then I got to thinking, okay, it's a donkey, but why is he making that sound? Like, what was trying to get him that, he, that he's over there making that sound? And does it know where I am? Because I really hope it doesn't. In that moment, it's dark, but you know what? It feels like there's somebody watching me. A darkness that can be felt for the Egyptians, it's pitch black. You know why they're not getting out of bed? Because when they get out of bed, you know what it feels like? It feels like judgment. It feels like an oppressive hand of God. It's supposed to because he is there and he sees and he knows. And not only does he see and he know, but you know that he sees and that he knows. So, did I hit the button already? Wait a minute. Yeah, okay, fine. Didn't hit the button. There we go. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. Isn't that nice of him? Isn't, isn't he so sweet? Why are we negotiating? <laughs> Why are we negotiating? Like, if you're Pharaoh, what do you gain by negotiating at this point? You think that, but at what point do you go, you know, I think I'm out of power here. Because it's not yet. Now keep in mind, Moses is not surprised. Go back to Exodus 4. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he, will, that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. We've known that since chapter 4. We're in chapter 10. You ever see those videos where you know the car wreck is coming and you can't do anything to stop it? What do you do right before the accident happens in the video? You cringe and look away, right? Because you don't want to see it. Welcome to the book of Exodus. You can see it coming. You know it's there. What can you do about it? Nothing. But Moses said, you must also let, our, let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. Therefore, our livestock too shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know with what we shall serve the Lord. Now, we know this. We get this. You notice anything different about Moses? 
What's the tone here of Moses? Is Moses negotiating? Moses is telling him, isn't he? No, no, flocks have to go too. When we started, what was Moses doing? Afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Exodus 5, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who's the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Then Moses and Aaron said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. Like, like please? Otherwise, he's going to get mad at us. We've come a long way, haven't we? We've gone from, please, let's negotiate and come up with a deal to, no, this is what we want. This is what's going to happen. This is how this is going to go. What changed? I'm sorry? Somewhat. This is one of the reasons for the demonstration of the power. Remember, it's not just a judgment over Israel. Over, oh, let's get my countries right. It's not just a judgment over Egypt. It's a blessing and a strengthening over Israel. This is one of the things we lose in the modern world. We look at the bad things of the world and we fall into the ditch on one side that says, well, this is what God does to a sinful nation. Uh, okay, sure, absolutely. Is everybody in the nation under condemnation then? And the answer is probably not. Probably not. But God still did this thing, which means there's multiple purposes and multiple things going on. I will never forget this as a lesson. Um, about a month and a half after Hurricane Katrina destroyed the city of New Orleans, one of the pastors from that city was one of our chapel speakers when I was a seminary student. And he said, he, that was one of his points. He goes, you know, I'm sick and tired of people telling me that God judged New Orleans because of the bars and the casinos and all of that. He said, it's been two months and my church is still closed. We're still destroyed. We're still digging mud out of the sanctuary. And you know what's open? The cruises, the bars, the casinos, they're all above water. They're all opening. What kind of judgment leaves sin and destroys the people of God? His point was very clear. Yes, God judges sin with calamity, but he also purifies his believers with the same calamity. There's a lesson to be done here, and you're seeing that in action here. You're seeing the fruit of that in Moses' interactions with Pharaoh. Before Moses really understood the power of God, he's going, well, let us go that we may serve. No. We mean no. Please. 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 Three days. It's, only, it's, like, it's like a long weekend. Now that he's seen the demonstration. He knows the presence of God. He knows the peace of God. He knows the preserving power of God. It's what? No. God says, you do. That's the equation here. We've asked this question before. I'll ask it again. What are God's terms in salvation? Say it loud. Surrender. That's why we talk about bowing our knee before the cross. Bowing our knee before the Father. This is the example of Christ. Before Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall proclaim. There's no terms. When someone comes to you and goes, you know, I'd really, I, I would really like to become a Christian, but. Exactly. What do you know, is, what do you know at that exact moment? They, they didn't mean the first part. They didn't understand the first part. I would like to, be, I would like to serve God, but. 
I would like to root sin out of my life, but I would like to have a better marriage, but I would like, no, no. What you've just said in that exact moment is the first part of that sentence is not true. What you've really said is I would like to tell the truth, but the terms of God's gospel are surrender. You hand over your life. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, made alive with him. That's our, that's our baptismal formula, right? Buried with him in death, raised to walk in the newness of life. This is the point that Romans 6 is getting on about, why you do not continue in your sin. Why? Because you are dead to your sin. You have been buried with Christ. And if you are dead to your sin, you don't serve it anymore. But if you are dead with him, then you are also what? Raised up and alive with him, which means you are new. You are transformed. You are, go back to John 3, re born, born again from above. Therefore, you have new heart, new motives, new inclinations, new directions that you should be going in. This is a lesson that Israel is going to learn slowly. Moses learned it quickly. Deuteronomy 31, Moses' speech to the people. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Moses told the Israelites, go, face the danger, face the mighty armies, face the walled cities, but know that who goes with you? God. This is the same lesson you get in the New Testament. If God is for us, I mean, you should know that one, because if you listen to Chris Tomlin, you have to sing it like 87 times in that song. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? <laughs> All right, there we go. This is the same lesson. This, is, this, this harkens back to your Psalms. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I shall fear no evil. Why not? I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. If there's ever a time to fear some evil, it's when? <laughs> in the valley of the shadow of death. For, see, and I, it's King James. I don't know why, but King James sticks in my, for thou. You'll know what time in my life I'm going to break out of thou. It just sounds good right there, doesn't it? He is with us. He protects, he guides, he shepherds. And after you walk through the valley, where are you? Eating a meal in the presence of your enemies. And what are they going to do about it? Nothing. Nothing. Like, I got a turkey leg. <laughs> not a thing they can do. Why? Because whose table are you sitting at? God's. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. He does not forget. He does not forsake. Once you are his, you are his. This is the difference in Moses, Christian. This is supposed to be the difference in us. This is where we flip the script a little bit. This is the difference in us and how we walk. 1 Peter chapter 2. Putting aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. You ever seen a hungry baby? Aren't they so peaceful and calm? <laughs> See, I was in the double whammy of life when we had children because Cameron breastfed. So there's no formula. Like, I can't even go warm something up. If we didn't have a bottle ready to go and the kids were hungry, I'm like, where's your mother? Because <laughs> I can do exactly nothing. Like, nothing. Turn. I mean, Connor was the worst because I'd turn Connor around and he'd be like, <laughs> yep, nope. <laughs> Wrong equipment, bud. We will find her, though. Hold on. And it was like that Cameron would be asleep. 
And so she can't hear him screaming like she's upstairs asleep. And he, I'm like, where did, like, did she, did she hide? Am I being judged? What happened? Finally find her. It's like, here! And that child would scream until the second he got food. I mean, he's like, ow! That's how we're supposed to be with God, believe it or not. Long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. If we know, if we know that our state apart from God is death, judgment, wrath upon sin, we have seen the mercy of God given to us in Christ, that he has died on our behalf, taken the penalty for my sin, granted me his righteousness. I have seen that kindness. Why do I do anything other than go, gimme, 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 gimme? Why? Because that's Peter's question. And the answer is, well, because sin still dwells in me and I don't like it. So what do I do? I discipline myself. I long for the pure milk of the word. I grow. I develop. I don't, I don't just know what I believe. I know why I believe it. So that I can make proclamation. I can make defense. Because you know what? This is where learning your theology really helps you. Do you know who you're going to be defending your belief in Christ against the most? Do you know the biggest enemy? Say it loud. Yourself. I've said this before. Who lies to you the most? You. <laughs> Just feels like it some days. No. Your greatest arguments will be against you. Knowing why you believe what you believe is not just for the outside world. It's for the inside conflict. It's so that when your mind argues with your spirit, and it does, it does, you can go, wait a minute, no, I'm armed. Stop that. <laughs> Sit down and be quiet before I smack you. I know the truth. Well, yeah, well, you're not walking in it. I get that. But <laughs> it doesn't change the truth of who God is, what he has done, and how I wish to walk. See, that's who you defend yourself against the most. It's not them, it's you. This is the other reason why we have fellow believers. Because you know who does the most encouraging? Not you. But it's those who are walking with you. This is why we have to be honest with ourselves and honest with our struggles. Because how many of us have all the answers? Other than Jonathan, of course. <laughs> but you know what he has given? He has given us a church built by the Holy Spirit, assembled by the will of God, so that the gifts that you lack, your neighbor possesses. The gifts that your neighbor lacks, you possess. And we walk in lockstep towards the kingdom, knowing that we have escaped judgment, we have escaped wrath, we have been granted righteousness, and we are walking in such a way so that that walk is strengthened, so that the path is illuminated, the darkness is behind, and we have no doubt. This is why Paul could proclaim what he did about the gospel. If you don't know a Bible verse, you should learn this one. Romans 1.16. How many of you know it? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then also to the Gentile, or to the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. What changes the them to the us? The gospel message of Christ always has, always will. There is nothing else. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. He knew this was coming. 
He knew this was coming. Psalm 33, blessed is, the, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. All right. Logic time. We're going to do logic lessons. So in logic, we follow something known as the law of the inverse. And the way this is explained in logic is A, if A equals B. So just follow. This is weird math. If A equals B, then the inverse of that statement must be true in order for the statement to be logical, which means not A must equal what? Not B. So if A equals B, in order for the statement to be logically coherent, not A must equal not B. So if the nation whose God is the Lord is blessed, what's true about the nation whose God is not the Lord? They're not blessed. Welcome to Egypt. Welcome to Egypt. What happens to the nation that rejects God? What happens to the people who reject God? What happens to the person who rejects God? Habakkuk chapter 2. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed, founds a town with violence. It is not indeed the, from the Lord of hosts that the people toil for fire. Nations grow weary for nothing. The Lord, I'm sorry, the, for the earth, I'm skipping my lines. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Who wins? God does. So I always laugh. I have never actually watched the entire movie. I know that makes me a bad Baptist. I understand that. I'm willing to. But I've never watched the entirety of The Passion of the Christ. I've seen parts of it. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. <laughs> I just, I, it's why I don't watch horror movies. Once you get a certain amount of blood, it's kind of like I, I'm, I'm just done here. But there's a comedian who shall remain nameless because he's gotten way too vulgar and I don't want to endorse him. But this, this is still funny. But he talks about going to see the movie in the theater and people getting mad at him because he's not crying hysterically. And he's finally said, he goes, look, read the rest of the book. He comes back. <laughs> he comes to read. It's okay. He comes back. Christian, don't forget that. He comes back. Sin is dealt with. While the nations may be filled with violence and sin may seem like it rules and reigns, it does not. He comes back. He wins in the end. And as his people, regardless of what happens to us in the here and now, God will reign and redeem and comfort and uphold us. There is nothing that they can take because God has secured us. This is one of the reasons why God can harden, harden Pharaoh in this demonstration. Again, New Testament didn't have a problem with this. They understood it. Romans chapter 10. Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Remember that lesson as we get through Exodus. I'm gonna, see, I'm reminding you of all these things now so that hopefully when we come back to it at the end of December and into January, these things will start jumping back at you. The way God gives the commands as Israel leaves Realize that this was never just about Egypt and Israel. What's the real distinction in the world? Is the distinction Egypt and Israel? Where is it? God's people? Not God's people. Are there God's people in Israel? Yes. Here's the fun question. Are there not God's people in Israel? The Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy will, Deuteronomy will prove that that is true. Are there not God's people in Egypt? Yeah, I think we can, we can pick one. Like, if you can name one person who's going to hell in this book, who is it? Pharaoh. 
are there God's people in Egypt? The rest of the book is going to bear that out. Remember that lesson as we go through. This is part of the reason. Now, does that mean that some of not God's people got the blessing of his protection? Yes. Does that mean some of his people got to experience some of this judgment? Yes. Remember that as you walk in this world, that your blessing and the judgment upon sin is not in the here and now. The warning against sin to the unbeliever is in the here and now. The discipline on the believer is in the here and now. The warning against the believer on being careful how you walk is in the here and now. But the ultimate blessing of the kingdom is not here, it is in the kingdom. The ultimate blessing of salvation is not here, it is in eternity. Which means in the meantime, there will be, dis there will be dis dishevelment of the nations. There will be disease, there will be famine, there will be war, there will be all sorts of these things. But know what? That they will be set right when? Not now, but when the kingdom is finally founded. When the foundations of God's rule and reign are sunk deep, sin is devoured and destroyed, and we are redeemed people in his kingdom. Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Beware that do not see my face again, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. Believe it or not, this makes perfect sense. Who has the power here? And in this earthly argument between Pharaoh and Moses, who's, who's the one with the power? Pharaoh wants to. I asked you earlier, after we're done dealing with Ra, how many gods would be left in Egypt? One. Who's the last god of Egypt? Pharaoh is considered god on earth in the Egyptian pantheon. He is the representative of the heavens. He is the representative of Ra. He is protected by Isis and all of the other garbage that goes on in their system. This is why I said the darkness was the last attack on the heavenly powers of Egypt, on the ethereal powers, the invisible dominions. When they're all destroyed, where does Pharaoh turn? Who's left for him? No one. No one. He is all alone. Is he confident? What is he? He's terrified. How do I know? What power has Pharaoh had these entire plagues? None. Can Pharaoh kill Moses? Does this threat have any teeth? Why make it? My father used to have a phrase. <laughs> My father had a phrase that he used to use to try to explain his behavior. Sometimes it made sense, sometimes it didn't. Violence is the product of a limited mind trying to express itself. Makes sense. Guys, when you're fixing something, when do you start getting mad and yelling at it? When you've been messing with it for how long and it won't do what I told it to do, and now I broke my toe. Why did you do that? Because I've done everything else I can think to do, and what have I got left? Yelling at the stupid thing. Violence is the product of a limited mind trying to express itself. What justification? What answer? What argument does Pharaoh have? Nothing. He has nothing left. He has no power, no authority, and in this world he is now all alone. So he lashes out in fear. 
And that's why this statement makes perfect sense. Moses said, you're right. I shall never see your face again. Peace. Moses afraid? I mean, this is part of that growth of Moses here. You stand before the most powerful ruling king on the planet, and he goes, I'm going to kill you. And you go, okay, and walk out. (laughs) Is that a rational response? No. Why can Moses have that response? Because he knows it's not true. He knows that Pharaoh has no power. Proverbs chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, Moses has his security, and it's not in Pharaoh, and it's not in this earth. Matthew chapter 10. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, and the slave like his master. If they've called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Do not fear them. There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are, but are unable to, feed, to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows. See, what's the warning? Birds are worthless in that economy. Catch a couple of them, you got a penny. Yeah. And yet, why do they fly? Because God ordains it. Why do they eat? Because God ordains it. Why do they fall from the sky and die? Because God ordains it. If he has that much patience, that much attention to detail with something that is earthly useless, how much attention to detail does he have for those children he has made in his own image? There are no accidents in a world ruled by God. We have to remember that, and we have to walk accordingly. This is why the book of Hebrews can celebrate Moses. Because it's not celebrating Moses, it's celebrating the God behind Moses because of these actions. Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater than riches than the treasures of Egypt, he was looking for the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. It's part of the celebration. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? I've got everything I could want in here and now. You know what you've got? Nothing. I've got nothing I want in here and now. You know what you could have? Everything. See, that's the blessing of Christ. That's the blessing of the kingdom, and that's the focus of the faithful believer. It is not looking for security. It is not looking for safety. It is not looking for blessing in the here and now. It is looking for a kingdom yet to be revealed where God's presence will rule and reign, where his king will be installed, and where our safety and security will be realized because then our king has been revealed.
That's why when the nations war against God, he can tell them. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He will speak to them in his anger, terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. That's realized. We don't think like that, but it's realized. The kingdom is accomplished. Salvation is accomplished. We walk in difficulty now. We walk in purification now. We see the judgment poured out against sin somewhat here and now. But at the end, what are we walking towards? An accomplished faith, an accomplished kingdom, a king who has conquered, who will preserve us until that day. That's what we have to be reminded of. And look, this time of year, especially, you know, every four years or so, real easy to get caught up in the here and now, isn't it? Doesn't matter. And look, I, I have my opinions and I have my favorites, but you know what, at the end of the day? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because regardless of who has Congress, regardless of what laws they pass, regardless of who sits in the Oval Office, regardless of any of that, you know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to serve Christ. You know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to discipline my family. You know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to know the word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to walk faithfully. You know what I'm going to do the day after that? Same thing. And if they tell me I did a good job, you know what I'm going to do? The same thing. If they tell me I can't do that anymore, you know what I'm going to do? The same thing. We walk not for here. We walk for the kingdom that is to come. Christian, prepare your mind for that. That is the task we undertake in the here and now, is to demonstrate his mercy in the way that we live, in the way that we walk. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the demonstrations that you have given to us. We thank you for the mercy that you have poured out. We thank you for the kingdom that you have accomplished, even though we do not yet see it. We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us to walk faithfully, that we would forsake this place, cling to what is good, cling to your word, know that your spirit abides, know that your mercy is good, and that your grace is everlasting, and that as your people, called by your name, will walk faithfully until that day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand. And together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. And we'll guard each one's dignity and save each one's pride. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. All praise to the Father from whom all things 
come and all praise to christ jesus his only son and all praise to the spirit who makes us one and they'll know we are christians by our love by our love yes they'll know we are christians by our love they will know we are christians by our love by our love Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Uh, <laughs> last couple reminders. Um, Kathy Shaw's son, Jane Renee, have COVID. Lou's family, same thing. Um, Elizabeth for good recovery, and hopefully she gets back on her feet sooner than later. So remember all those folks this week. Let's pray. <laughs> she's mostly okay, but she's she's a little ill. But who, who knows what she picks up on the bus. So yeah, remember Ginger as well. Let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave, let us be strengthened in the hope of your kingdom, walking faithfully in this world, walking with one another, proclaiming your great mercy and gospel. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.